It may be the hardest journey you'll ever take. Watching your loved one decline into Alzheimer's. That moment you realize that you can no longer communicate with them the way you used to because they are no longer who they used to be. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today we're talking with licensed mental health counselor and Alzheimer's specialist, Jonathan Gerson. Jonathan works not only with families, but with those suffering from Alzheimer's. Today, we're talking the brain and some strategies to help you connect. Really, every time you meet with them is different. Even with my partner, Ernesto, you know, we'd say we're going to the opera tonight, and he'd just forget, you know, like what an he forgot what an opera was, and he was an opera executive. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you like today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. You're listening to our doable tips, short answers to your questions. Don't see your question listed? Send us a note. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an answer. I was working with an Alzheimer's patient this morning. And, you know, I, I had a thought, really, the, the sadness or the depression is more the uh, phenomenon of the caregiver than the Alzheimer's patient. They don't really know what's going on. I've worked with this. I, I'm working with a doctor right now. I've worked with him for about three years and I've seen him decline, you know, so, so the caregiver sees the whole trajectory of the decline and feels sad, you know, because it's just step-by-step gradual loss. Yeah. But the client, the client doesn't really see it. It's interesting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the Alzheimer's association has a statistic where 50% of people know and understand that they have memory loss. And then the other half have absolutely no idea. And what you're talking about with the caregiver piece is why I call it the most brutal disease, because you have to watch someone start to even forget who you are. You can't communicate with them in the same way that you're used to communicating. So you're right. right. You're right. Right. And and I, I think one, one rule that I've established is that really every time you meet with them is different. Even with my partner, Ernesto, you know, we'd say we're going to the opera tonight and he'd just forget, you know, like what an, he forgot what an opera was and he was an opera executive. So things that you take for granted, don't, you can't count on them. It's almost like, I like to say the universe starts over every time you meet with a patient, like a whole new world. Yeah. Absolutely. It's given me kind of some interesting thoughts about just the self, how the every human is so different. You know, everyone's work experience was different. Everyone's values are different. Yes, exactly. Oftentimes when families are coming to us for advice, that's kind of where we start is let's talk about some ideas. But the truth of the matter is you might have to try more than one because we are so different. And so the disease presents itself differently to different people. Right, exactly. That's actually why I really love the work that you're doing with DreamRem. And I know we're going to talk about that because it's all about making those connections. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. 
And that's what's so important as those things are being lost is, is how to get that connection back. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about Dream REM and what that is exactly. So I, I've always been fascinated with the dreaming mind. When I was a freshman at Whitman College, my psychology professor assigned me a dream analysis homework. Like uh, for the semester, I had to keep a dream journal. Ever since then, I've always kept a dream journal. I just was fascinated with what is the brain doing at night? You know, what, what's going on here? So there was a doctor, um, Dr. Dement. He was from Stanford. He founded the first sleep clinic in the world. And I was very lucky because he used to lecture at Whitman College every year on sleep. And his, he was from Walla Walla. And his mom lived in Walla Walla. So he would come and visit her and give us a lecture on sleep. And he said, basically, the number one factor in, that you can improve in your life for health is sleep. If you can improve your sleep, you're going to improve your health. And he gave a long list of illnesses like heart, heart disease and, and, and Alzheimer's you know, that were related to poor sleep. So I just became really fascinated with this question that maybe we could become better dreamers and better sleepers, you know, like maybe we could teach kids about sleep and dreams and all that. So I just became really interested in that as a topic. So then fast forward to the army. I joined the army to be a behavioral scientist because I wanted to work with soldiers with PTSD. So nightmares are the central component of PTSD. So basically pretty, pretty universally soldiers that go to combat have nightmares. So I did extensive research on how to work with nightmares, how dreams and nightmares and emotion, you know, how, how you heal from that. And then I got out of the army and then my brother had difficulties with schizophrenia. So that was kind of another area I studied, psychosis and dreams. Oh, wow. How did you connect all of that to Alzheimer's? So. I got a job as an activities director working with Alzheimer's patients. One thing I was really interested in was music therapy for dementia. That's something I started to do right away. Yes, that's so, so many studies have been done on music therapy. I'm a musician myself. I still have a show. I still, I've played thousands of shows. I mean, people love music and Alzheimer's patients love music. So I have a patient that he has Alzheimer's, probably mid-stage. He's a musician and I'm going to train him. We're going to play a, a show together. Oh, I love that. We'll see how he does. So we're starting <laughs> to rehearse. But, anyway, but it gives him a sense of purpose. Absolutely. That's going to be kind of interesting to study to see how he does with that. So back to Dream Rim. I'm working with all these Alzheimer's patients at the University of Washington's Adult Day Center. I was the activities director for five years. And then, so I basically worked in activities for Alzheimer's patients for about 23 years. But I did a lot of reminiscing. I did like a World War II reminiscing for the men. I did a lot of men's groups. I created all these programs. So when I finished my master's, I started an institute called the Dream Rem Institute. I was noticing when I, when I worked with these Alzheimer's patients, how dreamlike their thinking was. Like it was very bizarre in the sense that dreams are very bizarre. They just have all sorts of tangential thinking. If I said, where'd you work, Bill? You know, who knows what they'd say? You know, they might've said I worked at a car wash or maybe they were thinking like when they were teenagers. 
memories were coming in from all all over the place when I was interviewing people. Like our dreams. Yeah, they kind of just flow. Right. So I, I did a lot of research on the, the memory, on the mind and memory. And then basically I was I was kind of combining my interest in dream analysis with what I was observing in my Alzheimer's patients. So that basically, I guess the principle I use is that we really never forget anything. It's more an issue of recall, which relates to stress and anxiety. I basically feel that anxiety is the big killer of recall, meaning when you are relaxed, your access to memory is much broader. But when you panic, it tends to constrict. So you have a much more narrow focus. That's interesting because what that just brings up for me is the success of hypnosis therapy. Yes, exactly. Putting you into a state of hyper-relaxation so that you can access those memories. So that makes sense. Yeah, which I just finished some training with a hypnotherapist. Oh, wow. (laughs) Great. It was great. She was so good. She was so good. I've I've been interested in some alternative therapies. So I hired a psychic. I, I worked with a psychic recently. They were, all, they were very effective, you know, in their own way. I think there's a lot that we don't know. I mean, there, there have been so many drug therapies that are non-traditional out there as well. I mean, there was a recent one using psychedelic drugs and, yes, yes. you know, these kinds of things. And it's all about accessing the brain in a different way. Exactly. I guess basically what psychedelics has taught us is that the the mind is just infinitely complex and powerful. I mean, just so much more complex than we thought. So basically, dream REM is like a total use of all memory systems. It's basically a way of harnessing what the patient says to you and using it creatively. So what does that look like? I kind of call it join the journey. Basically, I believe that all people and all patients have what I call pockets of memory. That's areas of their life where their memory is still intact, even though the ravages of Alzheimer's are affecting them. So I believe that everyone has these pockets and that as a therapist, your goal is to find those. So that's why when I do my intake, my interview, when I first meet them, I'm trying to get a sense of where are they still strong? And then we focus on that. And so you're exploring those pockets of memory with them. So you get a sense of, like you're saying, where they're strong, and then you just stay in that pocket. And so that's where you're building the confidence. Exactly. I mean, let's say, let's take a Boeing engineer or something. There's a certain jargon to to the job, there's certain language, which as a therapist, I try to learn. Like when I was at the University of Washington, the adult day center, like we had a lot of professors. So I would read their PhD thesis. Because a lot of times that's what they were talking about. I guess one of my principles is the more you know, the better the therapy. I try to learn like a hundred things about my patient. I want I want to learn as much as I can. Because then the bizarre stuff that comes up as they digress is more understandable. So if someone says, my roller skates, my roller skates. Well, they, they might be going back to their childhood, you know, when they roller skated. The REM part initially was that I, was, I thought that REM sleep, we would somehow have some kind of breakthrough in REM sleep because that's when we process all our information and heal ourselves. So I kind of thought 
the, the discovery for Alzheimer's is going to come in that area as we use the mind more effectively or take advantage of what's naturally going on in the brain at night. Like we'd, we'd somehow figure out how the brain organizes stimuli as we go through the day and then make sense of it. And that somehow in that, that discussion, we could maybe strengthen the memory system. So that's why I call it the dream realm. I think that's so interesting to take a look at that area. I mean, I, it makes sense to me. I love what you were saying about learning a hundred things about each person, yes. because that's essentially what I'm saying to a family when I say, you know, your loved one better than anybody. So how can we get creative? Help, help us think about what your loved one responds to. There's a, a song by Billy Squire called Nobody Knows. The line was, we all have something that we care about, and I propose you find it out. That's exactly dream realm. The patient loved something, had kids, loved their job, loved to travel, loved something, loved to play golf, whatever. Your job as a therapist is to celebrate that, to say, you know, you have this illness, but it doesn't mean you can't just celebrate your life, that you can't explore your life, and we can't find the meaning. We can find the meaning in it. Some families have said, oh, well, we don't want to remind him of the golf course because he might feel sad that he can no longer golf. Has that been your experience? That's a good point. I, I think that's more based on their own fears of not how, knowing how to handle it when, when he says, I want to go golfing now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it tends to be more the family's fears. I think that families do want to learn more that new way of communicating because it, it truly is about the family member changing because the person with dementia is where they're at. Right. And, and I think there's also that, that level of denial. Nobody wants to think about this. They just want to, you know, go through their day and it's just too hard sometimes to face right, right. that their loved one is, is, you know, losing their memory. And, and what is that going to look like? I, I love that really at any point that you're at in your caregiving journey, that this is something that you can start to implement, finding the pockets of memory and, and just living with them in those memories. Is there any one piece of advice that you have for a family member as they're going on this journey with their loved one? Well, I think you touched on it a little earlier is that you really want to use a combination of awareness and patience. So I would even recommend doing meditation, you know, to relax and then really taking the client where they're at. A lot of my family members that I consult with they just can't accept that their loved one has deteriorated. So they, they have this image in their mind of where they were. You know, Bill was a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, this prominent person. Now is so different than how he was that a lot of families don't want to give up that memory of how he was. And that is the hardest thing. Today's episode is brought to you by licensed mental health counselor, Jonathan Gerson. Jonathan has been working with Alzheimer's patients for 23 years. His Dream REM method focuses on past achievements to foster a sense of self-esteem, healthy connections, and purpose. 
working with both the family as well as those suffering from Alzheimer's. Learn more about Jonathan in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable. Thank you.